hear me, a really big crowd too. Really big day because we're starting a brand new sermon series. I'm always excited, but I always love kicking off a new series. So we're going to start a series in the book of Proverbs that's going to take us all the way through the summer because we're that stupid. We need that much wisdom. A couple weeks isn't going to get it. All the way through the summer. Here's what I want to do. I want to make a distinction as we get started. Last summer, we were in the book of Psalms. And it was great. In fact, we highlighted the minor key psalms, psalms that are written in a minor key. And there's 53 out of 150 of them. And we called it Songs for the Broken Hearted. Because here's the deal. It might be helpful as we get started to make a distinction. I want to point out the difference between psalms and the book of Proverbs. You see, the Bible is actually one book comprised of 66 different books of different genres. And so it's helpful to know what kind of book are you digging into? Is it historical? Is it narrative? Is it apocalyptic? Is it poetry? There's all kinds of genre in here. And it can be helpful to know what kind of book is it as we're digging into it. The book of Psalms, and we were there last summer, is a book where it expresses emotions. Like pain, and sorrow, joy, and praise. And it showed us how to express our emotions. It's appropriately. God made us emotional beings. Showed us how we can express our emotions in the presence of God, whether it's great joy or great sorrow, both are appropriate. And you see that place for it. And you recognize, I'm not the first to have felt this way. Wow, you too, me too. And so that's why the book of Psalms has been loved by so many for so long. But book of Proverbs is a very different kind of book. It's not about emotions. It's not about emotions because the book of Proverbs calls us, the book of Proverbs calls us to study and to think hard and to do it long enough that you start to form a habit. You start to form a habit of having your thoughts and your actions brought into alignment with God's word and God's ways. In fact, the book of Proverbs basically pushes constantly, you haven't thought hard enough about most important things in life. Think, think, think. Tim Keller makes the distinction this way between the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. He says this, and I quote, if the Bible were a medicine cabinet, Psalms would be the ointment put on inflamed skin to calm and heal it. Proverbs would be more like smelling salts to startle you into alertness. And while I'm quoting from Tim Keller, I want to mention in our resource center, we've got a great devotional on the book of Proverbs by Tim Keller called Navigating Life's Wisdom, I believe it is. If you wanted to grab that and use that for your devotion this summer as we go through this book, that might be very helpful as well. Now, with that being said, before we jump into the first chapter and message today, let me also give you some pointers. Because I don't want to just preach sermons. I hope you know my desire is to actually show you how to read the Bible for a lifetime. Yourself at home that you don't find yourself. Notice I never say, don't try this at home alone. I hope you will try this at home alone. Every day. So let me give you some pointers since we're in the book of Proverbs about how to read the book of Proverbs and get the most out of it. Because you cannot approach this book with your Western logic and expect it to just unfold like that dummy series. You know what I'm talking about? That dummy book series with the yellow and black covers. That, that first one came out in 1991 that was titled DOS for Dummies. And they went on to publish over a thousand different titles. I mean, gardening for dummies, everything for dummies. And they've sold over 150 million copies now. And people love it. And I understand why. Because that series is characterized by. This is what characterizes the series. is what they're known for. It's characterized by absolute, straight up, bottom line simplicity. The book of Proverbs is not put, put together that way. You're like, what? Does he want us to understand it or not? Yeah, he does. But the book of Proverbs would not be added to that dummy series. So here's what I want you to understand about the book of Proverbs as you read it. Number one, the book of Proverbs is not a set of simple steps that are going to lead you to the good life. 
It's not a a set of simple steps that will lead you to the good life. Instead, the book of Proverbs is actually a book of, buckle up, poetry. Some of you are like, oh. And here's why so many people hate poetry. What are they saying? Just say it. You ever take a class on poetry and you're like, you know, what? It's not bottom line But there's a purpose for poetry, and there's a reason God gave us the book of Proverbs with a genre of poetry, because it was meant to instill wisdom in you as you reflect on it and wrestle with it. Think about how you have to reflect on poetry and wrestle with it and look at phrases and bring things together. What is being highlighted? What is in contradiction? What is being framed here To instill wisdom in you as you reflect on it and wrestle with what's being said. So the book of Proverbs calls you, get this, to wrestle your way into wisdom. See, God is a good father. He's the best father. Think about even teachers that you've had, whether it was in high school, elementary, college, but especially as you got older. The good teachers, now you might not have thought it at the time, but if you look back, I think you'd find this to be true. The good teachers didn't just give you the answer. Right? We want those. Just tell me what's on the test. Just tell me what's on the test. And then just ask me the things you told me and here we go. But you don't really learn. The good teacher. I remember this older guy that I had and he, he would just keep saying, look up here. He was very old. Look up here. And oh man, he would have us for weeks leading up to something. It was like, just say it. And he wouldn't say it. He would, just, he would just give us a little more. And by the time we got to what it was he was trying to teach us, we're like, I want it. I want it. I got to know. And guess what? You remember it more. You had to wrestle. A good teacher would just give you a little of this, a little of this, a little of this, and point the way and leave you to wrestle your way there. It takes longer. It's messier, but greater impact. That's what the book of Proverbs does. God wants you to wrestle your way to wisdom. So one of the features that you'll see with Proverbs is Hebrew poetry. So make a note of this. With Hebrew poetry, the author uses parallelism. So often the author will bring together two phrases, two clauses, two sentences, and one will modify or expand on the other or sometimes give you a different perspective than what was just said and you've got to wrestle with what is going on here to get the total picture. It requires you to ponder and make distinctions and make connections. In fact, you can't read it in a hurry. This is one of the reasons why I love the John MacArthur through the, through the Bible in a year. Let me push that again. That's what I've used for over 10 years now. We have it in the Resource Center Because I don't think the best way to read Proverbs is to read a chapter a day because there's 31 days in most months. I know some people like that. It's way too much. Proverbs was not meant to be gulped down like fast. One chapter of Proverbs has got like 19 things to think about. But in the John MacArthur Daily Bible, you might get two verses. That's plenty for me to ponder and reflect on and wrestle with. And that's the way Proverbs was meant to be read. All right, so it's not a simple set of steps that are going to lead you to the good life. Number two, here's what you need to know about Proverbs. Proverbs are life principles that are generally true. Now, this may freak some of you out, so look at me. Generally true. Not money back, guarantee, 100% of the time, always, in every situation, without exception, this is what will happen. You're like, what? Proverbs are principles that are generally true in life. So, for instance, and and the reason is life is more complex than be able to state one thing and say always, every. And we live in a fallen, broken world. So, for instance, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Is that true? Is that generally true? Oh my goodness, yes. If you will teach a child when they're young, train them when they're young, discipline them when they're young, spend time with them, talk to them, listen to them, love them, shepherd them, pour into them. Don't don't squander those early years. Is it much more likely that boy or girl will go on and stay on the right path? Yes. 
Are there any exceptions? Oh, yes. So here's what has happened with that verse. Christians have just beat up other parents by taking that verse and saying, I don't even know you. I don't know you well. I don't know what you did or didn't do in your home, but I see your kid and your kid's 22 and your kid's wild as can be and immoral and worldly. So therefore I can conclude backwards, you didn't train them, you didn't discipline them, you didn't shepherd them. You're a bad dad, you're a bad mom. I know that from looking at your kid. Proverbs are not meant to be used that way. Oh, no, no. Now, let's be careful. Could someone have an older son or daughter that is in that condition because they did not instill in them truth or take time with them or work with them? But not in every case. So we should assume the best and say, I bet they have a broken heart. For all I know, that mama prayed her heart out and worked hard with that child, and that dad got up early and met with them. I don't know what they did or did not do. It's a general principle, not a money-back guarantee. Number three, the book of Proverbs was designed to be cumulative. You need to take everything that the book of Proverbs says about any subject. You need everything it says about any subject and bring it all together You don't want to take one proverb in isolation from the others. For example, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Proverbs chapter 26, you'll actually see two verses back to back, right in a row, that at first glance you think, that's a contradiction. There's a contradiction in the Bible. There's an example. The Bible has full of faults and contradictions. Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. And American readers struggle sometimes when they get there to say, what in the world? This makes no sense. Do not answer a fool according to his way, lest you also be like him. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his way, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Yes. It's both. And you'll need wisdom to know when to put into practice one or the other. He's saying, these are not just little hard, fast rules you just grab. You actually have to think. You actually need to be filled with the Spirit. You actually need, and you'll say, what he's saying is there are times when you try to correct a fool that you will be just like them. You are wasting your time. They'll just drag you in and you'll be back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Don't do it. And yet there are other times absolutely confront or correct a fool lest they walk away and say, she's got no answer. I'm right. She's got no answer. He's got nothing to say back. And you'll need God's wisdom to know which, which. It's poetry. It's general principles. And you need all of it. So there's a few parameters on how to read the book of Proverbs and get the most out of it. So now... Let's dig into the first chapter, chapter 1. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Proverbs 1, verse 1. And let's stand together in honor of God's word. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. And instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornaments on your head and chains about your neck. Now skip to verse 20, where the author begins to personify wisdom as a woman. Verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn 
at my reproof. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you because I've called and you refused. I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will laugh at you in your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely. And will be secure without fear of evil. The word of the Lord. And all God's people said. You may be seated. All right. If we're going to spend the summer going hard after wisdom. And trying to move away from foolishness. Let's get our arms around. What does the Bible mean? Definitions are important. What does the Bible mean when it talks about wisdom? What is wisdom? So we're going to answer that question first today. Number one, what is wisdom? Well, there's a lot that could be said, but let me just highlight four things that I think you can see right here in our passage today in chapter one. Here's the first. The wise person has perception and insight for living. Perception and insight for living. Look at the second half of verse two. To perceive the words of understanding... The NIV says, for understanding words of insight. That word insight is a Hebrew word in the original that means to notice differences and to make distinctions that other people don't pick up on, just don't see. To make distinctions and to notice differences that other people just don't pick up on. Insight. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Think of the difference between Sherlock Holmes and his partner, Dr. Watson, right? A client comes into Holmes' apartment at 221B Baker Street. She has only been there a few moments, and Sherlock Holmes sees and makes note of 19 things about her that Dr. Watson doesn't even see. Now, is Dr. Watson stupid? He's a doctor. I don't think so. But Holmes sees, perceives, has insight, makes distinctions, notices differences that most people don't pick up on. Because Dr. Watson sees the same person, but not with the same insight. That's what the Bible says is part of wisdom, perception, insight. Let me give you a second characteristic. The wise person is prudent in what needs to be done and even as to the order in which it needs to be done. What needs to be done and even what would the steps be? What is the order in what needs to be done? You can see the word prudent in verse 4. To give prudence to the simple. And the word prudence in the Hebrew there is a word that means practical or strategic. In other words, this person knows how to get things done instead of just talking about it. This person doesn't just diagnose the problem and say, that's a problem, you ought to work on that. That's actually not that hard. Those people drive me nuts. Yeah, duh, I see that too. How about some solutions? Can you bring some solutions? This person doesn't just diagnose the problem but can think of steps that need to be taken to solve it. Prudence, practical, strategic. What, they can go from a goal and turn the goal into reality. What are the steps? What would the strategy be? What would this look like to get us there? So wisdom is insight, perception. You're seeing things that other people don't even pick up on. 
it has a practical, strategic level to it of if that's the problem, how would we solve it? Let me give you a third characteristic. The wise person has discretion in what to avoid. See, I hope you realize this, but we can see it just played out on the news in our world like every week. It's not enough to know what you should do. You better also know what to avoid or we, you will not get where you're trying to go. You can know what to do and steps to get there and say, there's how we get to that goal. But if you don't have the ability, if you don't have discretion and you don't have a sense of what to avoid along the way, you will still end in destruction and shame. Look at verse four, the end of verse four. To the young man, knowledge and, say the word, discretion. Discretion is a Hebrew word right there that means to see through the deceptions of temptation that come at us every day. You're able to see through the deception of temptations. We're all being tempted. But this is a person, wisdom, a wise woman, wise man, has a greater ability to see through the deception, the lie of that temptation. See, it doesn't matter how much information you have or how high your IQ is. If you keep taking the bait and biting down on the glittering temptations of this world, you will not get to where you're going. You can chart a path for success. You can be brilliant and knowing what needs to be done and how to get there. But if you can't say no, if you can't see through the deception of the temptations in our world, you'll still end in shame and destruction. You'll be derailed, easily derailed. And this is what we see, right? As I watch the news, do you find yourself saying the only people blowing their lives up with something so stupid? How did you think you could text yourself naked to her and we wouldn't know? How did you think you could sit at the bar with another woman? How did you think you could keep doing this and eventually that person wouldn't talk about you? These are not stupid people. Do they do stupid things? Sin makes you stupid. I mean, I hope you know... High IQs do not guard you from being stupid regarding temptation. Neither does low, so don't get too excited. That won't help you either. But discretion is what we have to have. Discretion, discretion. So we're building something here, right? So biblical wisdom is someone who has perception and insight. You start to see sometimes what other people don't even see. You've got prudence. You don't just diagnose a problem. You've got steps, practical strategies for getting there. And you can see through. You're cultivating the ability by God's grace to see through the deception of temptation so that you don't get derailed. Here's what I think is interesting. This Hebrew word used for discretion actually conveys the idea that depth of character is what enables this person to see through the temptation. Guess what? Character does matter. Not just competence, not how smart you are, not how good you are at that. Character does matter. In fact, character could save your life. But there's one more characteristic I want you to see about wisdom. It's this, the wise person isn't looking for a quick fix technique to master nor are they simply trying to accumulate information. It's not a quick fix technique that they're trying to master, nor are they satisfied with just the accumulation of information. See, there is no technique for wisdom. There isn't one. And here's what I mean by saying no technique. Somebody comes to you or a good friend talks to you or somebody at work talks to you or somebody in your small group talks to you. I hear this a lot. I see it go down this way a lot. And they say, oh my goodness, I wanna know what God would want for me in this situation as I make this big decision right now in my life. Whether I should take this job or whether I should buy this house or whether I should marry this person or whether I should move to a different state. Woo, these are big decisions, life-altering decisions. And often it's couched in this. 
Show me how to pray so that I can get answers and know what God wants me to do. Now, you might find this offensive, but here's what I want to say about that. That might sound spiritual, but I don't think it is. Very often, that person is simply looking for a quick fix technique. What do I need to do right now to know what God wants me to do? Because if I were honest, watch this, if I were honest, so far up to this point in my life, I have not cultivated a prayer life where I take time. I get up early enough to spend time with God in prayer. Not rushed, hurry, flare prayers in the car, in bad traffic, on the way to work. It's important enough to me that I've got some time where I actually pray and I've got communion with God. I talk to him, I pour out my heart to him, I worship him, I enjoy him, I confess my sins to him, I listen to him, I actually have a relationship with him through prayer. I haven't done that. And oh, up to this point in my life, I haven't made time to get up to read God's word. Here's what I hear all the time. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, just live like a fool then. I don't know what to say to you. This is essential. So I haven't had time. I haven't made time. It's not important enough to be reading God's word because watch, here's what this does. This is not legalism, you guys. This is not check boxes. Watch me. I haven't been reading God's word in my life leading up to this so that it has reoriented my thinking and my desires and actually started to help me to think more like God thinks and to desire the things that God desires. I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm being changed by his word. Some of the ways that I think and the values I have and the way I see this world is just different because his word has continued to renew my mind and wash over me and reorient me. So up to the, but up to this point, no, I haven't done that. And I don't have time to be in a small group. I've got TV shows to watch. I've got binging on Netflix. I've got sports. I've got to do laundry. I don't have time to actually be with other believers at close range for iron sharpening iron, for bearing one another's burdens, for confessing our sins, for praying together, for receiving the grace that comes through other believers that 1 Peter 4.10 talks about. I haven't done that. And... To this point in my life, I have not formed a habit of humility where I've tried to make it easy for people around me to speak into my life and tell me something about me that I'm not seeing. In fact, most people that know me well would know, do not try to tell her something about her that she's not seeing. You'll be sorry. When the dust settles, you'll never want to do that again. She's argumentative. She's defensive. She pushes back. She begins to attack you and say, oh yeah, let me tell you something about you. She doesn't want to hear it. She doesn't see it. She doesn't receive it. I'm not picking on ladies. I just choose to use a female pronoun so that you'll feel included, ladies. (laughs) Men and women both do this. Don't hear me saying it's easy. When when my wife begins to to bring something or when Peter LaRufa knocks on my door and begins to say, hey, Brad, I always know where we're headed. We all love you. It's like, okay, table dressing. Just say it, dude. I'm about to be rebuked. Oh, God of the heavens, help me. (laughs) Yes, bring it, and then never do this again. But I don't say that. I'm thinking, I want to be wise. I want to be wise. I don't want my wife or Peter or anyone else to think, I'll never do that again. This person is saying, ah, uh uh-uh, I haven't done that. And, oh, by the way, up to this point in my life, I actually have not responded to the hard things that come into my life regarding trials and suffering. I've not responded well. I've not submitted to the sovereign hand of God and chosen to trust God in trials and suffering and say, I don't understand this, but I believe you, God, that you're with me and you've not abandoned me. I'm going to trust you. No, I've not done that. In fact, I tend to pull back away from God and be mad at God because his job is supposed to be to make my life glorious and therefore he failed me. So now here I am. I don't have a habit of prayer. 
My mind hasn't been renewed by God's word. I'm not in close range with other believers. I don't have a habit of humility and I have not responded well to suffering. I've pulled back from God, but right now, I need a quick fix technique for some wisdom. And often, what they really mean is I just need right now to know clearly this big decision that needs to be made so that I can then go back to the way I've been living that is fairly godless until I have another big decision that needs to be made. Folks, that's not how it works. The time to get ready to make big decisions is before you're in one. You want to be cultivating, you want to be cultivating wisdom, growing in hum, wisdom by doing all the things that I just mentioned and more so that when you arrive at this point, don't hear me saying there's no place to reach out to another man or woman and say, hey, could you give me some counsel? Hey, do you have any insight here? Hey, but you're not left with, I've got nothing else in place that should have been in place up to this point. Here's how I would say it to you about wisdom. Wisdom is the accumulated character and humility of being reoriented to the realities of how life really works according to God's word and God's ways. It cannot be downloaded in a moment. There is no lever to pull, there's no button to push, and there's no wisdom for dummies that you can just read over the weekend. It's not a technique. But here's something else worth noting, especially in our day. Wisdom is far more than the accumulation of information. Oh, I am so grateful for the access to information. I'm so glad I don't have to drive to the library and try to use the card catalog to look something up because honestly, I never understood it. I never figured out how to use the Dewey Decimal System. Just honest moment, ever. I had to get the librarian every time. So praise God for Google. I just Google and I get answers about what does this person make or whatever sermon illustration I'm trying to use. I can write in my office. I never leave. But folks, there's a curse to this access of information that I don't believe our culture fully recognizes. And I certainly don't believe Christians and children of God recognize what has happened to us. Because we've got a culture now that has made the mistake of equating information with Wisdom. Piles of information does not equal wisdom. They don't seem to understand that unless you have character and humility and a history of suffering well to some degree in life, you won't have wisdom. Because wisdom is comprised of far more than gigabytes of information. Anybody, think about it, anybody with a keyboard and access to the internet can pile up stacks of information and anybody with a high IQ or photographic memory can retrieve most or all of it at a moment's notice and still live like a fool. Information is not synonymous with wisdom because wisdom is far more than the access to accumulation of or retrieval of information. In his excellent article, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Nicholas Carr points out the difference between skimming across stacks of information and actually learning how to think so that you gain wisdom. That's in alignment with the book of Proverbs. God actually knows we need to learn how to think almost like a muscle that you haven't exercised. It's more than just give me information. Learning. Listen to what he says. As the media theorist Marshall McLuhan pointed out in the 1960s, media are not just passive channels of information. They supply the stuff of thought, but they also shape the process of thought. And what the net seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. My mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in a sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. Do you understand the distinction he's making? Because it's critical to the pursuit of wisdom. 
Here's the problem with the internet. Here's the problem with access to information. Think about what happens to you when you jump here and you read a little bit and you read fast because it's a long article, but there's all these other links that also showed up. And as soon as you go there, there's a whole other volley of links and you just jump around, perhaps for two hours, and you've learned a lot in a very shallow way and then you can connect dots in a very wrong way and think you're really smart. You don't know anything well because wisdom comes through pondering, reflecting, and meditating. Don't hear me saying it's a sin to be on the internet. Do hear me saying the internet itself, by the way we get information, is actually making it hard for us to be wise because the pathways to wisdom, my friends, are actually to know how to ponder and reflect and meditate. And, and, and I'll, I'll just jump on a little thing that chafes me. You can get all kinds of information and you can even easily blog. We've got everybody writing today. Everybody's writing, everybody's writing. If one more 20 something year old writes an article or a book about marriage after being married three years, I'm gonna throw up. (laughs) You don't know nothing. Wait. Tim Keller actually says you shouldn't write a book before you're 50. It's like for crying out loud, everybody's so quick to write something and tell you what they think and they think they know all about it. Wisdom comes over time ever so slowly And I hope this doesn't offend you, but let me also say, if you haven't suffered much yet, also shut up. Just praise God you haven't, but don't act like you know a lot about something. Because very often, real wisdom comes in the crucible and the furnace of real suffering and heat. And it happens more often through pondering, reflecting, meditating not jet skiing across tomes of information. Oh yeah, you've covered a lot of ground, but it doesn't equal wisdom. You become a wise person through years of training and learning and getting to know God and getting to know God's word and then getting to know your own heart usually by going through suffering and then being willing, trying to form the habit of allowing people to speak into your life so that you'll be aware of what you're not seeing because none of us see ourselves like we should. We're all the man with cream cheese in his mustache, but no one wants to tell you. Make it easy for someone to say, blob of cream cheese right there. And you cultivate the habit of humility And you choose to lean into trusting and submitting to God even when you don't understand it so that slowly, ever so slowly, over time, you start to become an insightful, prudent, wise man or woman. Wisdom doesn't happen overnight. But you can start the journey today. Now, let me tell you why. I hope you're already interested, but if you're slightly disinterested, why? Why do we need wisdom so bad? Let's answer that question. Number two, why do we need wisdom so bad? Verse 32 captures. Verse 32 captures our two biggest problems with two different Hebrew words. Look at verse 32. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Now, before we even dig into the two words I want to highlight, it's worth noting, is it not? Did you hear the sound of that? That lacking wisdom is more than just unfortunate. The turning away of the simple will what? Slay them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. It is more than just unfortunate if you're not wise. It could kill you. Well, let me show you the two reasons why. Here's the first. Because without wisdom, we are so out of touch with reality. Without wisdom, we are so out of touch with reality. 
There are two different words in verse 32 that are used throughout the book of Proverbs. So we're being introduced to these two words and you're going to see them all summer as we go through the book of Proverbs. Those two words are simple and fool. They both lead to destruction, but in two different ways. Both lead to destruction, but in two different ways. Let's start with the simple. You see, the simpleton, here's the problem, cares way too much about what other people think. They care way too much about what other people think. The word there for simple in the Hebrew means to be young, naive, and characterized by not being grounded enough or informed enough or rooted enough in truth. The very word in the Hebrew means to be open. You are open to every opinion. Your finger's in the wind. You're just taking your cues from the culture. What does everybody else think? What is everybody else doing? I don't want to look different. I want to be popular. I want them to think well of me. This person cares way too much about what other people think. The fool is an opposite path of destruction. The fool doesn't care nearly enough about what other people think. It's a Hebrew word that means the opposite. It's a person that is characterized by being so wise in their own eyes. They think they already know. Their, their favorite thought and often what you hear is, I know. I know. I know. You can't hardly tell them anything. I know. I know. I know. They've already made up their mind. They're not easy to persuade. They're very opinionated. They're set. And they think, I don't need to listen to anybody else. I'm the smartest person in this room. Simple. What does everybody think? That's how I make my decisions. That'll lead you to destruction. Over here, I don't care what anybody thinks. I know, I know, I know. Two paths to destruction that are very different, but both end in the same place. Here's what they share in common. Very different, but share this in common. Both are out of touch with reality. The simpleton is out of touch with reality because she's so in touch with what everybody else thinks. The fool is out of touch with reality because he's so in touch with his own thoughts, what he already thinks, and he's so settled and assured about everything. Let me give you another reason why we need wisdom so much. Because the consequences of living without it are so serious. So we need it because we're so out of touch with reality, whether you know it or not. We need it because the consequences are so serious. We don't have time for me to reread it again, but oh my goodness, take some time this week or this afternoon to reread Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 33, because it is not pretty. The words that are being used for the person who lacks wisdom, quite frankly to me, are terrifying. It's far more than unfortunate. You'll see words like calamity, distress, disaster, anguish, trouble, terror, destruction. I don't know about you, but I don't want any of that in my life. I don't need any more calamity, distress, anguish, destruction, trouble, Those are all words that are describing the man or woman who doesn't get wisdom, doesn't have, whether it's because you're so open to what everybody's saying and you're not rooted and grounded, or it's because you're so shut down because you think you already know. Destruction, destruction. So how do we get wisdom? Well, this is so important. I'm going to take the whole message next week to unpack that question in more detail. How do you get wisdom? But at least today, in case you think you already know and you aren't coming back, (laughs) let me whet your appetite. (laughs) Fool. Let me whet your appetite on the way out. You have to be humble enough to know you need it. You look at verse 3. Verse Three requires humility. Look at verse three. To receive the instruction of wisdom. I know it might sound basic, but the word receive is the key that unlocks the door to wisdom. Because it's the same thing being taught in James chapter one, verse 21, where the author says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept, accept 
the word, God's word, that is planted within you that can save your soul. You have to be humble enough to receive God's word, look at me, and hungry enough to make time to chew on it and think about how to apply it to your life. You think about that picture of house built on the rock, house built on the sand, don't make a mistake here. Both heard the word. Jesus said, this one heard the word. She said, well, I'm in church. I'm hearing good teaching. That's not enough. It's a good start. What's the difference between house built on the rock and house built on the sand? The one distinguishing characteristic. Anybody know? House built on the rock, NIV says, put it into practice. You'll have to ponder and reflect and think for your own life and your circumstances. Now, how would I put that verse into practice? Now, how would I obey this principle? Now, how would I? You gotta be humble enough to receive God's word, hungry enough to make time to chew. And often that chewing is best done with a group chew. I hope that doesn't gross you out. That's what we're doing in small group, group chew. It's helpful to be with others. We're saying, how are you putting this into practice in your life? How are you doing this? How are you going through this trial? Humble enough to receive it, hungry enough to make time to chew on it. And then you have to really want it. It can't be like, oh, at some point in my life, that'd be nice, a little more wisdom. Oh, it's gotta be, I want it. Oh, I want it. I want it. Look at verse 32. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Notice he's not saying the fool's against it. There are other verses that say he despises correction. This one's just saying he's complacent. What's complacent mean? Complacency is contentment and self-satisfaction with where you are, especially when it's coupled with an unawareness of the dangers about where you are. You don't even know what you don't know. Complacency. Complacency. But now as we conclude, I want to move your thoughts beyond the book of Proverbs. Because while we call Proverbs a book, it's simply one slice of a larger book called the Bible. And in this larger book called the Bible, with all its characters and drama and narratives, we see one glorious, single, coherent story being told in this book. One coherent story about how the human race was plunged into sin and separated from God. But God sent his son to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, to perfectly keep the law and then to pay the penalty for our sins that separate us from God so that we could become, you're not born one, You're born in the image of God, but you are not a son or daughter of God until you put your trust in Jesus so that we can become sons and daughters and call God our Father. So in other words, this book is all about Jesus. He's the central character, the main character. Everything points to him. Everything builds around him. So turn with me as we close to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm not changing subjects. This is still wisdom. But I want you to see that wisdom is found in a person and far more than just the personification of a woman in Proverbs 1. Let me show you where wisdom is really found. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning of verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. We're talking about the gospel to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. 
Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Skip to verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us, say the word, wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories... Let him glory in the Lord. Oh, listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I don't want you to go out of here fired up about gathering more information. I don't even want you to get fired up about turning knowledge into wisdom. I want you to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is. The first step in your journey of wisdom begins with Jesus. Jesus Don't make the mistake. The world tells you this and your flesh confirms it. Don't make the mistake of thinking, I have everything I need within me. All the answers within me. That's what the world says. And I have all the power to set goals and achieve the good life. Let me help you, my friend. Today rather than 10 years from now. Stop believing that lie. Your greatest need is is not information, but is to be in relationship with your creator through his son, Jesus Christ. There's where wisdom begins. See, the book of Proverbs can point us in the right direction, and the book of Proverbs can tell us. But only Jesus living in us can give us the desire and the power to do it. You won't even have the desire to do it, and you certainly won't have the power to do it. You need Jesus. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Oh, God, thank you for your word Lord, thank you for Proverbs with wisdom for life. But greater than Proverbs, thank you for Jesus Christ who took on flesh and came into our world who is the very power of God and wisdom of God and glory of God who came to redeem us and renew us from the inside out and make his home in us. Oh God, stir us again with the wonder of Jesus Christ, his beauty, his wisdom, his power, his grace, his mercy, his compassion. We pray in Jesus' name.